We're in Isaiah chapter 48 this morning, so if you would turn there with me, please. We're going to look at 11 verses together today, and uh, I'm very excited uh, for what we're going to talk about today. Well, first of all, because it's the Word of God, and we're all excited about that, right? And it's encouraging that so many people gather uh, continually to come because when what I hope is that we're all hungry for the Word and we're hungry for the fellowship in the Word, right? And so um, I'm looking forward to our time together today. But let's look at our text, Isaiah chapter 48, beginning in verse 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, and who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city, and they stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, I announced them, and suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I know you are an obstinate, because I know you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead is brass. Okay? Let's look at the first couple of verses together before we continue. Hear this. Already understand that, you know, we're, we're, mo- we're, moving, we're moving through kind of, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe you call them movements, right, in the text. And do you feel us transitioning from kind of one concept to another as we move through the text? It's kind of like we close that, and then we kind of, now we're going to, we're probably going to be talking about the same concepts as we've seen, right? But we're going to flow into this idea. And so God now says to the people, now perk up and listen. And listen to what I have to say. Who's he talking to? The house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel. Now, a couple of things about what we're reading here. It's very important that we're setting the scene for what God is about to say to them, and specifically he's going to say that to them um, in verse 10. And so we're, we're leading to the climax of verse 10 together. But first we have to understand all of what he said previously because he's taken us there. Okay, so he's saying, listen, house of Israel, y- you were called, uh, you, you came from the waters of Judah. In other words, you are descended from the line of Judah. Remember, this is to Judah, the southern kingdom. And so we understand why he's using that terminology, right? So he's talking to the house of Israel. He's saying, you call yourself Israel, and you swear or you take oaths by the name of the Lord. The Lord of hosts is his name. And you, uh, you confess his name. And uh, this word for confess here is very interesting because it actually... It's, it's actually most commonly translated remember. Uh, so it, what it's saying is you remember the name of the Lord and you call upon him. You invoke his name might be another way to say that, right? So just get a picture in your head just very early on here that there is a people who are called by the name of Israel. They call upon God. They take oaths in his name. They remember him, and so they invoke his name in those oaths. And this is the people who he's talking to. But then all of a sudden, what does it say? You do all of these things, and you call yourself by the name of Israel, and you call upon my name, and you take oaths in my name, but not in truth and not right. Now, uh, 
I, I would probably change the word right here to a different translation. Truth is good. Right, when we hear right, we, we, most, we probably think correct, right? Uh, not in truth and not correctly, but really what it's saying is not in truth or righteousness. Not in truth and integrity. That's what's being said. So you don't do it in truth, and you're not doing it in righteousness. And, and then he just continues on. That's almost just kind of thrown in there like, oh, so I, I thought this was really good. Yeah, call yourself by the name of Israel. Great. Yeah, that's who we are. You know, you, you call upon my name. That's a good thing, right? You take oaths in my name. Great. Yes, we do. We invoke your name. We confess your name. Great. Th- this is going to be, God, he said to listen up, and he's just bragging on us. But then all of a sudden he says, but not in truth or right. And then it goes right back. For they call themselves after the holy city. They stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. They stay themselves on the God of Israel. In other words, they support themselves. They say that all of their support comes from God himself. They stay themselves on the God of Israel, right? So it's a people who believe that God has called them and that they're a holy people. They're a blessed people, right? And they feel great about that. They feel great about the fact that God has called them, God has chosen them, and they say, hey, do you know who our God is? Our God is the God of Israel. Where do you live? We live in Jerusalem, right? City of peace. And that is our city. And it's God's city, and God dwells with us. And so they, they feel this, and it kind of brings about a pride in them, doesn't it? But they're not doing all these things properly. They're not doing these things in honesty and in integrity and in righteousness. So he's calling them to listen. All right, look at verse 3. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, and I announced them, and then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. Okay, so let's stop right there. Remember that he's building to something that he's about to say uh, in verse 10. So we already have the people and how they view themselves, right? And God is saying, you view yourself that way, but don't you know that's not actually who you are and you're not doing that properly, right? By the way, we understand that, don't we? You ever called yourself something and someone said, yeah, I don't think that is you you know you ever do those like personality tests and everything and you're always shocked when you read about yourself and everybody else says no I think that's exactly right I think it's exactly and you say no that's not who I am you think you're something that you're not they thought they were this holy righteous people and they called on the name of God but he's God's saying don't you know that's not actually you're not actually living up to that so then God goes into this and he says so there were former things that I declared. And he says, basically, remember when I did that? They went out from my mouth. I announced them to you, and then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Do you, you remember when I did that? But because I know that you're an obstinate people and that you're not, your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead is brass. So probably need to talk about that, right? What does all that mean? So you're, uh, the reason that God told them beforehand what he was doing is because they're an obstinate people. And to give a better picture of how obstinate they are, he says your neck uh, is an iron sinew. So the thing that connects your bone, it's a tendon basically, right? The thing that connects your bone to your muscle 
uh, if you touch it in your own neck, you'll notice that it's awfully soft and flexible, which means that you can turn your head. Imagine if that was made of iron, not flexible. In other words, it doesn't turn its head. We've heard this said another way, which is a, stiff, a stiff-necked people, right? This is the imagery. And why don't they want to turn their head? Because they're already set on the direction they're going. And whether God says to go this way or not, I'm going the direction I'm going, and there is no turn in my neck. And also your forehead is made of brass. What an interesting thought. Your forehead is made of brass. What does that mean? Well, you say it all the, well, maybe you say it all the time. I don't know. You've heard this, right? A hard-headed person. You know, it's the same thing. You're hard-headed. You're willful. You're obstinate. And I mean, wh- where does this come from? I don't know. You want to go a direction, and it, it seems like something is stopping you, but you're going to keep going anyway. You know, you don't give up. You keep hitting it. You go over and over. I'm not giving up. I'm going. I'm going. You're willful. You're obstinate. You won't turn to the right or to the left. And that is why I told you beforehand what I was going to do. That's what God just argued with them. The reason I told you these things beforehand is because you're obstinate. Because you're a stiff-necked people. So I declared them to you from of old, before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. Okay, so now we start to understand. So God declared to them what he was going to do beforehand because he knew that they were a stiff-necked people and that when something came about that was good, they would say, see, all our prayers to that idol have paid off. Because they wouldn't get it. But he said, so because I know that that's how you operate, I told you beforehand that I was going to do them, and then I did them so that you couldn't say it was your idol that did them. What things is he talking about? I think it's pretty clear uh, based on basically when you get to verses 20 and 21, there's a contrast between Babylonian captivity and Egyptian uh, captivity. So he's talking about the Exodus event. He's having them go back in their minds to the Exodus event when Israel was held captive as slaves in, in Egypt. And then God came in and told them what he was going to do. And then he did it. Right. Do you remember that God told them beforehand what he was about to do? So Exodus three, verses seven and eight. Listen to what it says. So the Lord said, I have, by the way, this is the burning bush. Right. There was a bush and. It was burning, and it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, what in the world is going on here? And then the text says, and then when God saw that Moses looked at the bush, he spoke to him from the bush. And he said, he first announces who he is, right? He tells him, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then he says, the Lord has said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land to a land that is good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to deliver you from Egyptian captivity. I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to give you a land in Canaan all before it happened. Right now, he spoke this to Moses. Moses didn't like talking in front of people, felt like he couldn't. And so God got mad and said, well, good thing I made Aaron then. I saw this coming. So Aaron 
then kind of speaks on behalf of Moses, who speaks on behalf of God, and, and Aaron tells the people exactly what Moses just said. So, God declared it beforehand, these things of old, and then suddenly he did them. Right? Suddenly, in a moment, he delivered them from captivity. And it was miraculous, was it not? A miraculous deliverance. God said he was going to do it, and then he did it. He delivered them from their affliction. And why did he announce it? Because they are obstinate. I'm going to read uh, out of Ezekiel, verses 7 through 9. And the reason I'm going here is because we have Isaiah who is prophesying about events that are to come in the somewhat near future. But then we have Ezekiel prophesying while he is actually living in the midst of Babylonian captivity. And so what's amazing is Ezekiel is saying back to the people of Israel who have already heard these things. He's saying the same things to them that Isaiah said previously. But he's kind of giving us a little bit more detail. Listen to what it says. This is Ezekiel 3, 7 through 9. But the, the house of Israel but will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. This is God speaking to Ezekiel. You know, you're going to go and you're going to say these things in my name, but I just want to prepare you. They're not going to listen to you. Who else did he say that to? Isaiah. Remember? Keep on seeing but do not see. Keep on hearing but do not hear. And he prepared Isaiah for that ministry. Okay, so he's also preparing Ezekiel for his ministry. They're not going to be willing to listen to you. And the reason why is because they don't want to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a, for have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, though. And your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. So fear them not. Don't be dismayed at them or their looks. They're a rebellious house. Okay, so uh, here we have Ezekiel in the midst of Babylonian captivity. Isaiah is before Babylonian captivity. So now the people have been led away. And you would think that they would get the message now, right? They're feeling the discipline of God. Don't you get it? But still, they're not willing to listen to what God has to say. Still. So pause with me for a second. Has it ever been in the midst of your discipline that you're still unwilling to listen? You still don't want to listen because your heart's not there yet. This was the entire nation. This was the people of God. God declared the former things because they were obstinate. And then what? Isaiah 48, verses 6 through 8. See, we're going pretty quick, aren't we? Flying through the text. Isaiah 48, verses 6 through 8. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard. You have never known. And from of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. Okay, so you have heard, that is the things of God that he announced of old and then he did them, right? 
I declared them to you. I said I was going to do it, and I did it. Now, behold, I am telling you something new. And don't you think I'm going to do with this new thing the same thing I did with the old stuff? In other words, I declared to you what I was going to do, and then in a moment, I did it. Now, I'm declaring something new to you, and in a moment, I'm going to do it. That's what God is saying here. I'm declaring to you, what are these new things? I believe they're the same new things as chapter 48, verse 9, if you want to look at it, because also they're the same new things as chapter 49, which is after 48, right? You'll notice that there's something new being said, and the new thing that's being said, uh, I'll just read from 42.9. It says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things now I declare them to you. Before they spring forth, I tell them to you. Isaiah 49, a light to the nations, salvation to the Gentiles through God's miraculous, merciful, gracious act of redemption. That's the new thing that he's telling them. So, what is being said here? This is a new thing. Now, if you think, if you're reading through scripture and you're, by the way, you know that, I just want to say this for those of you who don't know, and you know that the Bible's not in chronological order. Right, So if you start in, in Genesis, well, you think, well, it's, that's the beginning. Y you're right. You're right about that. But then as you go, as you go through Scripture, uh, you're not going to find that things are in chronological order. Right? You know that. Um, has God had this plan all the way from the beginning, or has God just come up with this plan? Because he said it long ago, um, there, that was my plan then, but now, behold, I'm telling you something new. It's from today, and I'm declaring it to you. Is this God's new plan? What God is saying to Israel is that you've simply not had your ears open to this plan, and so to you it's going to be new. Let me tell you about it. Do you know that in all things, God never has a plan B? Do you know that God never has to come up with a new plan because of something that's happened? Do you know that despite all the rebellion of the people of Israel, that God never had to change his plans? Do you know that he has always, from the beginning, had a plan A, and it was always plan A? Do you see that? God always knew what he was doing, but it was, in a sense, hidden from them because they did not know it. Because he knew that from before their birth that they would be called a rebel and that they would deal treacherously. I'd like for you, just for a moment, to uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Turn there with me really quick. We have not yet reached the climax of the text. We're going somewhere. I'm excited to get there with you, and we are right on track to get there. Deuteronomy 4, look at verse 15. I want you to think of this in terms of God's intentions for his people. So Deuteronomy occurs chronologically before, during, or after the events of Isaiah. Much, much before, right? So just have that timeline in your mind. What we're about to read occurred much earlier than what we're reading in Isaiah, okay? Because you're going to think, oh, it sounds just like what we're reading. Um, it occurred much sooner. So let's just listen. Isaiah, or uh, Deuteronomy 4, listen to what it says, beginning in verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully 
since you saw no forum on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's under the, under the, that's in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and moon and stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord God has allotted to the peoples under the whole of heaven. You should be thinking about last week and what we talked about the stars, right? But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are to this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. That's Moses. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the land or that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land and I must not go over the Jordan. But you, you shall go over and take possession of the land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant the Lord your God has, which he has made with you, and you make a carved image, the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And when you father children and your children's children, they've grown old in the land. If you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, by your hand doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you were going over the Jordan to possess. And you will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. The land will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Listen to what comes next. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the later days, did you hear what was just said there? When, all the, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the later days, it's going to happen. Do you hear it? This is going to happen to you. When all these things come upon you, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, and he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So God has a plan for his people, and he's had this plan for a very long time. Do you see it? It's just even in that little text right there. So what's happening with the people of Israel? It's, it's so important that we understand the timeline of events of what's happening here, because otherwise, none of this really registers, right? So what's happening? God has a people who call themselves special, but he says, you call yourself special, but you don't act too special. And then he says, don't you remember when I freed you from Egypt? I, I told you I was going to do it, and then I did it. Do you remember that? Well, behold, I'm telling you something new right now, and I'm going to do those things as well. And then he says, now in chapter 48, verses 9 through 11, pretty simple so far. Right? We get the message so far. We understand what he's saying. So what does he say in verses 9 through 11? Here is the big turnaround. We start to understand the whole point. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. 
For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I might not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? For my name's sake. Let's go just for a second. This is, this is good. This is good. What's being said here? Go to Ezekiel with me, chapter 20. Go to Ezekiel, chapter 20, verses 6 through 16. <coughs> what we're about to see is that God has intentions and a character and does something among his people whom he loves that I think many don't understand. They misunderstand the way that God operates in and among his people. But God has a plan for his people, and he's doing something with his people, and we should be those who have our eyes open because we have the word of God. And, and when we read it, we say, I get that now. Because the Lord's doing that in my life too. And I know that my God doesn't change. I can see how God is working in my life through these things because we don't want to be like Israel. It's obstinate and hard-headed, so we need to learn, right? We need to learn. So look at Ezekiel 20, verses 6 through 16. It says, so a little bit of a lengthy text here. I understand that. You know, just a note here, by the way. When Paul was uh, telling Timothy about how to operate in the church, he said, uh, make sure you give uh, attention to the public reading of Scripture. So when we read lengthy passages, good thing or bad thing? Mix, mixed reaction there. Good thing or bad thing? Yeah? Good thing. <coughs> Uh-oh. Okay, so... This is very this is very different, isn't it? Because in a lot of contexts, when you go to church, you expect show. Something polished, right? Something that's going to entertain you. A package sold to you. I have no package to sell you. But I have the word. I'd rather have that. So let's look at it together. That was pretty short, wasn't it? Yeah. So, Ezekiel 20. Let's look at verse 6. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things that your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me, and they were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things that their eyes feasted on, and nor the, the, did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, 
in whose sight I had made myself known than bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes. I made known to them my rules. That's what we read out of Deuteronomy. By which, if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord, who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but they rejected my rules. By which, if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. And then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. And I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing, flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules. They did not walk in my statutes and profaned Sabbaths, for their hearts went after their idols. What a sad story that over and over again, God redeems a rebellious people and gives them everything they need, and yet still rebellion, still obstinacy, still hard-headedness. He says, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. All this for the sake of his name. What is God doing for the sake of his name? What did God do in the past for the sake of his name? He's going to test them in the furnace of affliction. Skip ahead in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 22. My last parallel to Ezekiel there, okay? Ezekiel 22, just verses 15 through 22, and then we're going to talk about what all this means. Ezekiel 22, verses 15 through 22. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries and I will consume your uncleanness out of you. Very important right there. What is God doing as he disperses them? He is consuming their uncleanness out of them. And you shall be profaned by doing, by your own doing in the sight of the nations and you shall know that I am the Lord. What will they know? That he is the Lord. So he is doing this to them to get their uncleanness out of them. And as a result, what's going to happen? They're going to know that he is the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, that is Ezekiel, son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are the dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, Therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath. I will pour out uh, on you and I will melt you. I will gather you. I will blow on you with the fire of my wrath and you shall be melted in the midst of it as silver is melted in a furnace. So you shall be melted in the midst of it. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Do you see the result of all this? What seems horrible activity? What seems to be detrimental to them is actually good for them. Do you see that? 
When God says, I'm going to blow the fire of a furnace on your life, you think, no, 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 no. I don't want that. Keep the fire back. What do I need to do to make sure you don't blow fire my direction? But actually, the fire is what burns the uncleanness out of you. And as a result, you say, do you see the Lord? That's the result. I see him. And I know him, and you call upon his name. So the people are brought low, but at the end, their eyes will see him. The result, they come to know that he is the Lord. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read for you just, uh, just, just two passages here. I know I've given you a lot of scripture today. One of the reasons is because what we find in, in Isaiah 48, verses 1 through 11, is a very simple concept to understand. It might be simple to comprehend, but it's hard for our heart to accept what's being said. And, and I understand that this morning. And so what I want to do is to confirm to you that the biblical witness as a whole is telling you that this is true. Okay? I want you to leave knowing in your heart and in your mind that what we just read out of Scripture is true, however much I don't want it to be true. And wouldn't you much rather know what's true rather than hearing just what you already want to hear or what you already want to know? I hope so. Even if your answer is no, you're going to hear it anyway. What the scriptures are saying to us is that God is acting a particular way among his people. And what we see him doing over and over, how can you not see it? How can you not see what God is doing with Israel? Do you think it's just the Babylonian or the Assyrians came and wiped out the northern kingdom and God said, oh, I can't believe that happened. I must have been asleep. Or I didn't have the power to stop them. I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know that was coming. I didn't know the Assyrians got so powerful. I would have done something about it. Or the Egyptians. I didn't know they were so powerful. I wouldn't have let my people stay there. Now it's going to take me a long time to figure out how to get them out of there. Or the Babylonians come. I didn't know they were so powerful. I, they're taking you away. I'm, you know, just bear with me here for a little while, about 70 years or so. I'll figure out a plan to get you out. Or did God intentionally do these things because he has a plan? And his plan is that he might purify a people unto himself that properly represent him to the nations. Because God will not stand for his name being profaned. That's the message. He will not stand for it. He says, why are you doing all these things for my namesake? For my namesake, for the sake of my praise. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I am not giving to anyone else. I will make my glory known in this world. And how am I going to do it? By a people who say, I'm called by the name of God. I'm God's chosen special person. But not, you, you don't seem like it, though. Not in truth and not in righteousness. No, you're not. And if that's who you want to be, then it's going to take some fire to burn the uncleanness out of your life because God will not stand for his name being profaned. Is this what's actually being said? places I'm going to show you, and they're brief. Just a few verses each. 
The first I want to show you is out of Job chapter 36. Job 36, verses 13 through 16. And now what I'm going to read here uh, is, is Elihu. And so Job had three friends, and they were older men. And so remember that a lot of bad stuff happened to Job, a lot of his stuff, and, and everything he had was destroyed. People, his family members, I mean, his home, all, all his possessions, and then he even got very, very sick himself. And so three of his friends came over and were trying to speak wisdom, truth into his life, encourage him. But they didn't know what they were talking about. Um, ever been in a situation like that? What you're saying is not actually helpful or true. And so uh, that kind of happens. It happened to Job. And But then there's another character that comes out in later in Job, and his name is Elihu. And he, he corrects everybody. And so he says, let me tell you how all three of these people, that they're, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And Job, Job, you are so full of pride that you can't even see the right answer here. So Elihu explains to them the situation. And wouldn't you know what he says? Listen to it. The godless in heart cherish anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. Who do you think that he is? Who binds them? God. God binds you. You feel stuck. You don't cry to help, but you just get angry. They die in their youth and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. Listen to this. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction, and he opens their ear by adversity. He has also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there was no cramping, and so what was set on your table was full of fatness. So what, what is being said here by Elihu is, um, it is actually your distress and your affliction that the intention of it is that the distress and the affliction of your life are meant as purifying agents in your life. They are actually the cause of your sanctification. They are the cause of you crying out to God. So you have two options here, don't you? You can feel the binding of God in your life, and the binding is what we see in the book of Job. The binding is suffering and affliction. So you have two options in the midst of your suffering and affliction where you feel bound. What do you do? Well, you either get angry and you disregard God. And you know that feeling, actually, don't you? Or the other option is that you do cry out to God in the midst of your affliction in your anguish, and you, as Job did, he finally says, I, I get it, I see it now. I'm a man full of sin, and I repent in dust and ashes. It is a grace of God that we see how hard-headed and how obstinate and how stiff-necked we are, because this is not the kind of person that gives glory to God. It's the kind of person that gives glory to themselves. So God does what he needs to do to soften you. And how does he chosen to do that? In the furnace of affliction is how he has chosen to do that. Another one. Psalm 119, 67 through 71. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Well, what happened? What was the big turnaround? You are good and you do good and you teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but 
With my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. And listen to what he says. It's so simple. Listen. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It's good for me. What? It's good for you just like it was good for God's people. But how does all this come together within the new covenant for those in Christ, right? Because here's the disconnect. We think, but that was old covenant Israel. You can't say that there's a parallel between how God acted with them and how he acts with us. I think you're, I think you're wrong because the New Testament authors, authors themselves draw a parallel. I'm about to show you. But God is doing something all for what purpose? We read it over and over and over. Why is he doing it? For the glory of man, because they deserve to be blessed. But unfortunately, that's what gets caught in our mind. I deserve to be blessed. Don't you know who I am? I'm called by the name of God. I am chosen. I am blessed. That's, oh, that's why all the Christian songs that are popular, all about chosen, being blessed, being a child of God, that's, that's who I am. That's everything. That's all that there is. It's, there's no other message in contemporary Christian music. That's all that there is. Why? That's easier for me to think. It, it becomes man-centered. It becomes about me. It becomes about my blessing, my experience of blessing. I deserve it. I have Christ. I call myself by the name of Christ. And so I deserve the blessing of God. I'm chosen. I'm special. But not in truth and not in righteousness. You want to truly reflect who you call yourself by? I am a child of God. Are you? You're not acting like God. You don't look like God. You call yourself a child of God, but you're not acting like him. And that is exactly what was happening with Israel, right? You call yourself my children, but you don't act like it. For his own sake, he does this. Let's turn just to First uh, Peter 1. First Peter 1. Most likely, uh, last place that we're going to go. First Peter 1. Let's kind of bring it home. As you're turning there, see, I, I, I originally was going to go all the way through verse 22 this morning, and I, I thought there's just too, there's just too much right here, um, that we we need to know this because there is not a single person in this room who doesn't know what affliction and suffering is. To different degrees, yes, I I understand that. Yes, we all have our own story. But you know suffering and affliction, and maybe you're not in a season of suffering and affliction, but you have known it, and maybe you fear the day it will come, right? Does God have a plan for your suffering and affliction? Or is he going to have to do what he needs to do to figure out some kind of plan when suffering and affliction come? Just think about that, because there's no other option. Does God have a plan for your suffering and affliction? Or is he going to be surprised when suffering and affliction comes, and then he's going to have to try to figure out something to do to get you out of it, so long as you're faithful enough? Because you are deserving of blessing and prosperity in your life, right? So, 
God thinks it's unfortunate that you've had to go through this horrible mess, and he's going to try to figure it out as soon as he can, but he's got a lot to do. He's God. Now, unfortunately, that is a view of God that many have. It's an incorrect view of God. God has no plan B. He only has plan A. And when he sets out his hand to do a thing, who can turn it back? Who else is working out all things according to the counsel of his own will? Who else is doing that? Who else is the sovereign Lord of history? Name it. What other God is like our God? Name him. There isn't one. Does God have a plan for the very situation you're in right now in life? God has not forgotten his children. He has not forgotten all those who by faith in Christ are his. He has not forgotten you. He's turned his back on you. He knows where you are. And should you find yourself in a place of affliction, it is for a reason and it is not by chance, but you have been put there. What is God trying to say to you? I actually know the answer. It's not mystical, right? It's not something that you have to wait for a vision in the clouds. We know the answer. Let's look at it. First Peter 1. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice. That's good. But actually it's much better because it doesn't even stop right there. In all of that you rejoice. Though, for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And what's the reason? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through you, or though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, believer, what is God doing in your life? It's, it's so simple that I think it gets overlooked. God is not willing that his name should be profaned among the nations. We already learned that. And so, if we are a people who are called by his name, what is he going to do with us? To allow us to be and to look like whatever we want? And God is content with that? Or is he intending to take a people who are his and to refine them and to burn the uncleanness out of them so that they might properly reflect the God that they serve? You know that you are a reflection of your God and of the gospel to the world around you. And you have to ask yourself, what do I look like to everyone else? Do I look like the God that I claim? Is that my life? 
I've spoken to so many, and I think maybe that's why I maybe uh, maybe I've approached this text a little different this morning. It's because I've just I've spoken to so many over the past several weeks who find themselves discouraged at a point of affliction, and it has maybe caused to drive you to despair or to just give up and say it's just it's not worth it. Or I'm just done with it. I don't have the energy anymore. I don't know if I should just keep going. It's hard. Why? It's easier to not. I want you to hear this morning that the God that you serve, the God that has saved you, the God that has been gracious to you, the God that has been merciful to you will continue to be merciful to you to the end. Did you hear what Peter said here? Is that we have a salvation that is being guarded until the end. Do you know that God is guarding your faith? And do you know that God intends to purify you to be someone who properly represents him to the world? So, when affliction comes, how should we perceive it? That's really the big question this morning, isn't it? When affliction comes, how do we perceive it? How do we understand it? How do we get through it? What are we supposed to do? What do we keep wishing that the people of Israel will do? As we read these stories and we say, why can't you just get with it? Why don't you just believe what God said? I mean, look at all the miraculous stuff he's doing, right? Do you not remember going walking through the water? Like the, wall, the water was piled up on the sides. That's a real story, by the way. And you walk through. Do you, how do you think that happened? Don't you remember when you were guided? And I can't believe all the stuff that happened. And God was feeding you every day. And remember when the water came from the rock, that whole situation? Unbelievable. And then now... Why are we not following after him? You know, the same is true for us. And sometimes we just need to be shaken a little bit. And we have to remember the reason that we exist and why we're on this planet. Why do you exist rather than not exist? Why are you breathing the breath that you're breathing rather than being dead? Why? When you were saved by faith in Christ, did God not immediately take you home? Why is life hard? Why does affliction come? Why do I have to battle sin? Does God have a plan B? God only has a plan A. And I think it's, it's, it's far more meticulous maybe than, than sometimes we're willing to admit. God has a plan for everything. But what does he want from you in return? What does he expect? What is he doing? He is purifying you. And so as the author of Hebrews says, when discipline comes, it's painful, right? It's not pleasing, it's painful. But for those who have been trained by it, it it produces something, right? And the thing that it produces is godliness a sanctified person. Now, for those of you who have experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe this is kind of a sobering conversation to have because you're remembering a lot of things right now and you're saying, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm remembering with you and I understand I need to get it together. For others of you, 
you have no idea what I'm talking about. You don't even know what we're talking about. For all those who are his, God refines. Refining something in fire, by the way, not a pretty picture. Do you know that when it says in the text that I have purified you, but not as pure silver, in other words, you're not ready yet. Now Ezekiel says, instead of being silver, you're actually dross. You have become the throwaway stuff. I'm wanting something that's pure, but you look like the trash. And God is not content with that. He expects something different from us. So when affliction comes, what are we to do with it? We turn it back in praise to God because why is he doing all these things? For his glory and for his namesake. I hope that, okay, I'm going to have to end eventually because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I could go on for a couple of hours here. I'm not going to put you through that. But um, I'm wanting to make sure that you're understanding what's being said out of this text because it's a truth that we need to know and take with us because who knows? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to you when you walk out these doors, but God does. And nothing is by chance. But there is a call in your life, a responsibility to turn every situation back to praise to God. Are you doing that? Are you taking every situation and turning it back to praise to God, or are you angry about it? Is it humbling you, or is it making you more hard-headed? Is it softening your heart, or is it making it harder? When God binds you in a situation, do you feel the bounds, and you just mad about it? Or are you saying, I submit? You see the big difference between those two pictures? God wants you to submit to him today. If you have not submitted to him today in faith, if you have never come before him and confessed him as Lord, you need to do that today. For those of you who are believers, which is the majority of us in the room today, you know, just as I know, that there are areas in our life and situations where you have been hard-headed in your life. When are we going to stop beating our heads against the wall and submit to the lordship of Christ already? You going to do that today? By the Spirit's help, by the conviction of the word in your heart, I pray that the Lord has, has brought conviction to your heart today because none of us, none of us can say that they have fully submitted their entire lives to the Lord in obedience, in perfect purity, not one of us. So there is something today. Yes, God desires for you to have joy but it's not a joy in your situation. It's a joy in him, regardless of situation, right? I'm going to continue praying for our church as we experience growth. And one thing I want you to do, whoa, 115? Okay. So I, <laughs> sorry, you've been sitting here so long. Um, I turned my iPad off a while ago, so I, d I don't know. I don't know what time it is. But I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I, you know, I was reading Ezekiel this week and it, it had an impact on me. And I, I think maybe that's coming out right now because Ezekiel talks about how there is something on his heart. And if he doesn't speak the word that the Lord is speaking, then he can't be free from his burden. And uh, I feel a burden for, for you and for the situations that many of you find yourselves in 
and what I hope for you. And as I look around the room, you know, other people may not know the situation that you're in, but you know because we've talked about it, I know the situation that you're in. At least the stuff you've told me. And I know that it can be so challenging. But you are where you are for a reason. Be faithful to him. Don't stop. Just because other people are doing what they're doing doesn't mean you get to just do that in return, right? God always wants you to be a purified people because you represent him. Are you called by the name of God? Are you his child? Are you his child in truth and in righteousness? And when he purifies you, although it hurts, are you turning it back to praise to God? Because what he's doing is purifying you. Do you see it? A hard thing for our hearts to accept, very easy for our minds to comprehend. I think that's true. But like I said, I'm going to continue praying for you because I know many of you are in that situation. And I, I want to encourage you this morning. I hope that you have found encouragement in the word, not discouragement, but encouragement. All right, let's pray together. Lord.